We'll begin a new series this evening called Foundations of Faith. It will be a detailed look at least at the first six chapters of our public formulary, the Westminster Confession of Faith. We'll look at it from the scriptures and then we will conclude with the doctrines of our confession. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word from Romans chapter 1. We'll read verses 18 through 25. Hear now the word of Almighty God, inspired by His Spirit and profitable for us. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bless you that you are the Creator of heaven and earth, that you made the sea and the springs of waters, the heavens and the earth, all things visible and invisible, and you yourself cannot be seen with the eye of man. You are incorruptible. You have eternal power. You are possessed alone of divinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so we pray, meet with us this evening. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with the knowledge of your will so that we may do it and may believe in those gracious promises you have made in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The first foundation of faith is the light of nature, or natural light. Note here in verse 18, the apostle tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. This is why the gospel must reveal to us a righteousness from faith to faith. We did not read it, but you'll notice verse 17. For in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Gospel righteousness starts with faith and ends with faith. There is no work that we contribute, in other words. Why is that? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Sola fides, or justification by faith alone, is required by the revealed wrath of God. What does God have wrath against? All ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men. Now, normally, when you read these two terms, they describe both the first and the second table. Ungodliness is when men do not keep the first four commandments of the ten. They have other gods. They worship by images or any other way not appointed by God. They take God's name in vain, and they don't keep the Sabbath holy. That's ungodliness. Unrighteousness is ordinarily when a man does not render to his neighbor what is his due. He doesn't honor his father and his mother. He takes away innocent life. He commits adultery. He steals. He bears false witness or he covets. That's unrighteousness. But in this context, God compounds the idea of ungodliness by adding the element of unrighteousness because after all, if you are not godly, are you rendering to God what is his due? No, you are robbing God of his due. So he calls it unrighteousness as well as ungodliness. Now notice, he says, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now this word hold can be used for suppressing a matter or holding it down, but it can also mean to hold something fast. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, Timothy is told. This word is the same word. It can be used of a tyrant who imprisons men and holds them fast and will not let them go. They hold the truth. Yes, do they know truth? Yes, they do. How do they hold it? In unrighteousness. Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God or the known thing, the common knowledge that men have regarding the one true God. Some will say, well, if you believe in a natural knowledge of God, it's no specific God. No, it is a specific God. That's what he's saying. That which may be known about the God in the Greek. He uses the definite article. That which is knowable, that which is known, that which is common knowledge concerning God manifest emphatically is in them. Thayer in his lexicon concerning this word manifest says apparent, manifest, evident, known, plainly recognized or known. This common knowledge is plain to all. It is self-evident. It cannot be disputed. Aristotle the heathen said, if anyone denies the natural knowledge of God, it would be better to punish him than dispute with him. There's no point. You're wasting your time. He's so corrupt. Everybody knows it. It's evident to everyone. Don't argue with these people. Punish them. That's what magistrates should do. Someone comes along and tells you there's no natural knowledge of God. They ought to be punished. They ought to be excluded from civil society. They ought to be laughed out of court. It is manifest in them. Inside of the very being of man, there is an evident picture of God himself and the knowledge that we may have concerning him. They hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which they can already and do already know about God and it is manifest and clear to them, and God has showed it unto them, they hold it in unrighteousness. This common, plain, evident knowledge 
has already been shown to them. No further proof is necessary. Verse 20. For the invisible things of him, that is, of God, the true God, those invisible things concerning God, those attributes of this invisible God, his eternal power, his divine nature, we cannot perceive them with the eyes, we cannot have them with touch, taste, smell, or hearing, but only perceiving them in the mind, knowing them. These are the things known about God, these invisible attributes. How do we know them? From the creation of the world are clearly seen. In other words, when God first said, let there be light, as soon as man showed up on the scene on the sixth day, he knew exactly this knowledge. It was evident, it was clear, ever since then, until right now, me talking to you, everyone has known this. From the creation of the world, these things are clearly seen. Not seen with the eye of man, not smelled with his nose, not touched with his fingers, these are invisible things perceived only with the mind's eye. They are known how. How do we understand these self-evident truths about God being understood, he says, by the things that are made? Now, when you see the word being, remember, I-N-G, that tells you you have a participle. The clear vision that men have is by being understood through the things that are made. This is the manner of our clear perception, our sight of these truths about the invisible God. How? Through the things that he has created. How do we understand the first cause? By his effects. How do we understand the creator? By his creature. How do we understand the designer but by the thing he designed? How do we know the workman but by his work? How do we know the architect? By his building. That's the answer. By those things that he has made. They evidently demonstrate to all men certain truths known commonly from the beginning of the creation of God till right now these things are known. Even his eternal power and Godhead. This power transcends the order of creation. It is not a temporal power. It is above and beyond the order of made. Whatever has been made, his power is far beyond that. It is eternal power. His power shall never fade away or die. After the aeons and aeons have passed, of all eternity, his power will remain unchanged. It will not increase, it will not decrease, it will not change. It is always the same. Not just his eternal power, but also his Godhead. This is the word theotes, his divinity, his deity, his divine nature. 
These things about God, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divinity, these are known to all men. These are perceived by the nature of man's heart. God showed it unto them. It's manifest inside of them. And they are manifest in the creatures surrounding man so that what? Men may come to salvation by the light of nature? No. So that they are without excuse. Here's the purpose. So that they. That's a purpose clause. God's purpose in revealing this natural light is to deprive men of an excuse. Oh, I didn't know that. Nobody told me. Nobody came knocking on my door and pointed that out to me. They didn't need to. Now the word here for without an excuse is on, which means not, apologetus, which means having an apology, having an excuse, having a defense. You can't speak from your position and say, I didn't know, I'm agnostic, I'm not sure if there's a God or not. Oh yes, you are, and everyone is. God has revealed these manifest, obvious truths internally and externally to man to deprive man of any defense he might make. On apologetus. Lonita, concerning this word, say it pertains to not being able to defend oneself or to justify one's actions. God's intent, then, in natural revelation is to make men defenseless before his justice. Remember, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Why? Because men hold what is true and what may be known about God, even his invisible attributes, in unrighteousness. They will not render him his due. I note then this doctrine. The light of nature... And the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence, they show us God's goodness, His wisdom, His power, and as a result, no one can make an excuse. This is from our Confession of Faith, chapter 1, paragraph 1. Where did we get it from? Romans 1. That's where we got it from. There is a manifest truth in the natural order, not requiring men to have scripture information, enough that they may know things about God that they do not wish they knew that they wish they could turn away from, and they will hold it in unrighteousness. There are things known about God in the order of human personality, the order of man's nature. There are things that we may know about God from the works of God that surround us, the things that he has made. And as God wisely governs all things in his providence, that manifests to us as well, that he is God ruling over all. The universe is not a collection of jumbled, disjointed, irrational brute facts, as we say. No. 
God gives meaning to all things by his providence. He accomplishes his most holy will. God wisely governs all things, demonstrating that he as the creator and maker is the first cause and he is the final cause. All things come from him, all things return to him, and he sustains all things. Of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Romans 11.36 Please open to Acts chapter 14 concerning this providential witness as well as the created order witnessing. We'll look at verses 15 through 17, page 1112 of your pew Bibles. Paul had healed a man and they began to offer worship to him. Verse 15, Paul and Barnabas rend their clothes and they say, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto, the, unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. Do you note there what God did for the heathen? Did they have the knowledge of Moses and the law of God? No, these are pagans. They worship Jupiter. They're coming to bring an ox and garlands under the gate of the city so that they can do sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And yet, God in his providence made known unto them his goodness, his kindness, his mercy in providing and witnessing to them concerning himself. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. Please turn back to Romans chapter 1. Verse 21. After saying that they are without excuse, he says, because that... When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Here we see the problem, the malady, the evil illustrated for us. Do they have a natural knowledge? Yes. Is it evident inside of their created being? Yes. Is it seen so plainly in the works of God surrounding them? Yes. Is it confirmed by the witness of God's providence, this truth they know about God? Yes. What do they do with it? What does man do with this natural knowledge? When they knew God, oh yes, of course, if people just understood, they would certainly believe. No, they wouldn't. They glorified him not, as God, neither were thankful. 
in the very act of knowing God, the true God, with eternal power and Godhead, in that very act, they didn't glorify him as God. Here the definite article is left out. As one possessed of the divine attributes. They knew the one true God, but they would not treat him as if he were their God, in other words. They were not thankful. They did not give thanks as God enjoined by the light of law and law of nature. They did not give thanks in the manner appointed by his will, but leapt over the bounds that nature set. They became vain in their imaginations. Now the word imaginations we often think of as, well, I'm daydreaming. I'll have an imagination about, oh, some child has, well, you have an active imagination. You dream up all this stuff. No, this means dialogues. It's, that's literally the word, dialogismus, the reasoning through of things. Their reasonings were empty dialogues. Their apologies, their defenses of their empty and sophistical talk is nothing but foolishness. It's vain. Here are my reasons why I may cast off the worship of the invisible God in favor of an image because after all, I don't really worship wood. I worship the divine spirit through the wood. Augustine has this in his commentary on the Psalms. The heathens literally, literally told him that. He said, well, we Christians say, Wherever is an image, there is no religion. That's the Christian belief. You have an image, you have no religion, you're an atheist, you're a demon worshiper, you're not a Christian. Okay? And then they said, well, listen, you Christians, you don't understand heathenism. We actually don't worship that thing. We have a reason. Our reason is it just kind of helps us. There are a lot of people who can't read. And so they can't read Plato, and they can't read Aristotle, they can't read the philosophers. They can't read Xenophon or anybody. They can't read Plutarch. So we give them little images, and they use that as like a book that teaches them about the divine spirit. And yeah, we bow and we burn incense, but we don't really worship it. Vain in their reasonings. Their dialogues are trash. They were not thankful to God. They did not glorify him as God. Remember, he's an invisible God. They became vain in their imaginations. Literally, they were made vain. It's passive. This was done to them, not by them. What was done by them is not glorifying God and not being thankful. What's the punishment? They're made vain in their reasonings. God did it. He punished them. He punished their former sins with further sins. And their foolish heart was darkened. Now the word foolish means you can't put it all together. Ah, sunetos. Ah is no, you can't. Soon is together. Etos is placing. Ah, sunetos means you can't put it all together, like a puzzle. If you're wise and understanding, you can put a puzzle together. If you're foolish, you can't. You can't put it all together. You're foolish. 
their foolish heart, their heart that could not put all the pieces of the puzzle together, they could not figure it out, was darkened. They had the light of the Creator by the order of their creation, by the witness of God's handiworks in nature, by the overruling and power of God in ruling in His providence, but they were darkened in their heart. Now the heart is supposed to have light. It's supposed to have wisdom, knowledge, understanding. That's what the heart does in the Bible. It doesn't feel and flutter. It doesn't, that's down here in your, in your bowels in the Bible. Up here in your heart is where you think. Your bowels is where you feel. So here in the heart where there should be light and understanding and knowledge and the capacity to put it all together, what is there? Foolishness. Inflicted by God himself. For the ingratitude and the idolatry, he causes that heart to be incapable of putting it all together. Though the light of nature is there, the knowledge of the true God is there, the creation of the world witnesses to it, the providence of God manifests it. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools in the very act of professing themselves to be wise. It's a participle. As they profess their wisdom, God made them, again, it's passive, God made them into fools. Morons, literally. Morino, he says, without reason, without taste, without judgment. As they professed their wisdom. And notice, how did they profess their wisdom? Verse 23. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. Now this word changed means to cause one thing to cease and another to be put in its place. What was the thing that they had? The truth about God, wasn't it? He is an invisible God. He is the creator of all things with eternal power and divinity. Now, let's take that truth that we know and let's go to the pawn shop and give me a mess of whoredom spiritually. Please, let's exchange that. Please give me some lies. I'm tired of the truth. I would like lies. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God in for what? An image. God is not capable of being corrupted. Can wood corrupt? If you made an image out of wood, could it corrupt? What about stone? Is that corruptible? How about gold, silver, brass? Is there anything that man could make out of the material of creation that will not corrupt? No. They changed God's glory, the truth they knew about God, in His invisible power and attributes, they said, no more of that. I want a corruptible image. Man himself is corruptible. Let me make a corruptible copy of man who is corruptible. I want a corrupt copy of a corrupt thing. That's what they want. Sound like a fair exchange? Because this is the exchange that all mankind made without the grace of God intervening. 
a figure, a likeness, an image, similar to any created thing, any visible object, a man, a bird, a four-footed beast, vile little critters that creep around the earth, doesn't matter, they're all corruptible. Is God corruptible? So then, if God is not corruptible and man is, how can you make an image of an uncorruptible God made of that which corrupts? That which itself is corruptible and the image is an image of a corruptible thing. It does not make any sense. Though men may defend it, they are without excuse. Though they may say, I have reasons and dialogues I can show you as to why this is so wise, God says, what? Foolishness. And I will judge you with the incapacity to think if you do this, he says. Wherefore, verse 24, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Spiritual whoredom visited with bodily whoredom. Violating the natural order of the invisible God by images of corruptible things visited with sodomy and vile affections. Also contrary to the order of nature, as we see in verses 26 and 27. God judges their former sins against the first table of the law with further sins against the second table of the law. I note then this doctrine. Now we've seen that God has revealed in the natural light enough truth about himself, but what is the effect in man who has fallen of this truth he knows? It is not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. This light, this revelation of nature, this work of creation, this work of providence, none of these are sufficient to give men the knowledge leading to salvation. They can't know him and they can't know his will. How could they? They're shooting blindly in the dark. Let us reckon with this truth. Let us abandon all hope in man's natural religion. Oh, well, you know, these people have never heard of Christ, but, you know, they're consistent in their vain religions. And God will just say, at the end of the day, they were sincere, so he'll receive them, right? These Buddhists out here, they give their bodies to be burned for Buddha? God's not going to send them to hell, is he? Yes. They have knowledge concerning God, and they don't want it. And they say, rather than me glorify the invisible God, which they know by nature, both internally and externally, they say, no, I prefer my images. You think that's innocent? You think that's excusable? You think God's going to say, well, no, you, you didn't know any better. Yes, they did. Absolutely, they knew better, and they rejected it and were unthankful, and did not glorify God as a God to be worshipped. The goods of grace, that is, the good things of the gospel. When you build a house, what do you start with? You have to have a good foundation, right? It's called a substratum. 
the layers down under the ground that nobody sees. That's nature. And the goods of grace are built on the substratum of nature. Everything God says in the gospel, it builds on top of man as created in his image. As the invisible attributes of God are known naturally to man, the gospel doesn't say, we'll get rid of those natural attributes of God like justice and eternity and almighty power. Let's just remove that from the stage and Jesus will be your buddy, okay? Don't fear God anymore. Just, you know, happy clappy, sing along, everything's wonderful. Is that actually what the Bible says? No. The goods of grace are built on the substratum of nature. That is true. Grace, as we evidently see in Scripture, perfects the natural order. It doesn't abolish it. But nature left to itself, in man's current condition as fallen, what does it do for him? That natural knowledge of God leaves him without excuse. No defense, no arguing with God, no reasoning your way out of it. All it leaves him with is condemnation. Man in his natural state is defenseless. He is condemned of base ingratitude. His reasonings and dialogues are empty and moronic. They are specious and foolish. His refusal to glorify God as God, the invisible God, his exchanging of what he knows about God in for a lie, his worshiping and serving creatures rather than the Creator are inexcusable. And they will not bring him to salvation. Let us then flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not rest in the natural man's religion. You will discover this in all heresy, in all blasphemy, in all idolatry. There's a kernel of truth. You know what it is? It's the light of nature. There's something there in every single man that says, there's an eternal God. He's got power. And then they take that natural light and they corrupt it into something that God did not design. Is God a lawgiver? Yes. Is he just? Yes. Can you then be justified before him by keeping his commandments? No, you can't. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We can't do it. But man in his natural knowledge of these things says, yeah, but that's written on my heart. This whole idea of justification by works is written and ingrained into man's nature. He must be just or he die. Can man be just? He cannot. Flee then to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not rest in the natural man's religion. Nature has her place. Give nature her due. She shows us that we are without excuse, that we are sinners and fallen and under the wrath of Almighty God. Yet come to God by his word. This is why we talk about the natural law. It's the groundwork for the grace of God to build on top of, but it also shows us we need God to reveal his will clearly and specifically that we might be saved. And God has done this very thing by giving us the word of Almighty God, the revelation of the gospel and the revelation of his law. 
and thus far the exposition of Romans 1, verses 1 through 20, or 18 through 24.